And I began to go uh, last week talking a little bit about baptism and talking about how deep sin runs in our hearts and our life and how it's like an alien force, this sin, that's working its way through us and how um, it gets to the very core of who we are. And it's almost as if, Many times we can feel that there are other powers at work in this world, evil powers trying to speak to lies to us, to get us to motivate us to do things that we don't want to do. And, um, and as sin works deeply into our hearts, if we let it, it corrodes our hearts. And we become like zombie-like unless some sort of deeper healing can happen. Uh, and so, when we talk about baptism, we're talking about something that can get that deep. Something, a healing that can work that deep. And when we think about what baptism is, you know, you may have experienced someone getting baptized underwater. But baptism really is the lifelong process of being formed into people who love like Jesus. Uh, baptism, you, you hear it in the scriptures, it's this complex set of metaphors in the scriptures that we get about the formation of love. Yeah, so baptism is the start, the ritual of the start of it all, but baptism itself is ongoing. So if you've been baptized, you still have a baptism, and it's still working on you. That's kind of the main idea. And so this washing, when we get washed in baptism, it goes way deeper than we expect. Rather than a simple dunking under the water, we experience a lifelong, lifelong drowning almost. Um, it's like, rather than experiencing a simple washing, it's like the very blood cells are getting purified in us. Rather than in a simple, and like an initiation rite that brings us into a Christian family, we experience God leading us through a series of trials in our life that we would never ask for ourselves, but he, which he allows and uses in his good, in his good uh, wisdom. And, um, and part of being baptized, part of being the family of God, part of being in the family is being willing to stick with it, to stick with the baptism, to go where he leads us, and not trying to escape the trials and crosses that may come our way. Now, I've done a lot of teaching. If, you, if you're new here, I've done a lot of teaching uh, so far on how God never causes brokenness. God never causes evil, but he will enter into it and begin using it. And how that sometimes we think of sin, and if you've been around church for a while, we think about sin as this narrow uh, definition of the things we do wrong, the failures and mistakes we make. And of course we make failures, and of course we make mistakes. But sometimes we think of God as saying to us, you guys could never be good enough for me. So why try? Why are you trying to be good? And that I would, I've begun sort of unraveling for us and teaching us that's not necessarily the, the scriptural teaching on sin. Sin is something much bigger and much more profound. And of course it has something to do with um, uh, us being purified. But when God sees us, he sees his treasure, his beloved treasure riddled with sin. And he's about to do everything he can to wash us and clean us. And if we think about what the world thinks is the problem, when you think of the world, like, you hear people say, well, I'm a pretty good person, right? Like, I, 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 don't, you know, I don't do a ton of awful things, and I know a ton of pretty good people, and so we're, we're all pretty good people, right? Well, until we start peeling back the layers and being honest with ourselves, we see just how 
messed up this place is and just how deep of a solution we need. And so this is where the story goes. Anyway, so uh, last week we started talking a little bit about baptism. And um, we talked about John the Baptist, introduced him, exploring some of his, his teachings where he, remember, talked to the people. He says, God can make hearts of stone into children of God. God can even get to the very hardest of hearts and make children. Uh, it's, important, um, it's important to God. You know, it's important to God, John was preaching, that you live a life filled with good fruit. It's like you, you, um, uh, uh, he's going to be talking about uh, the kind of, uh, the, the language when you hear him talk about make fruits worthy of repentance. He's telling us that God does care. God cares what you do. He cares how you behave. He cares how you interact with this world. And so John, John is one of these figures that we have to, to reckon with. Um, and... Um, when, when he begins teaching us about the propensity of evil, of all these people coming down to confess their sins, to, con- to confess that their, their hearts need cleaning, um, he teaches us that this idea of sin is like a slavery that causes this sleepy magnetism to darkness and that washing is going to feel like a drowning. So this is where we've come from. This is what we chatted a bit about last week. And now we're going to go back and join him. And this is the big concept, the big phrase that gets us oriented into this whole teaching, that when people came to John, he was giving them a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And this is the nature of Christian baptism, too, in case some of you may say, well, that was John's baptism, right? But then, then once, the, the, once Jesus died and he was raised, then there was a different baptism. There's the Holy Spirit. But if you, if you um, oops, sorry. If you get back to um, the beginning of Acts, when Peter was preaching, he preached to a bunch of uh, people who were, were in Jerusalem near the time of Jesus' death. And they're asking, what should we do? How do we, how do we change our hearts? What, what do we do? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So John began something that, that Christians carried on. And uh, John is out at the... The river here. I like to call it, I mean, this is a great context to rename the Jordan River Pigeon River. I don't know, if if you think about it, like, I like to say, John was at a Pigeon River, okay? Because Pigeon River is like a border. The Jordan River, do you remember? It was a border between uh, the place where uh, the Israelites came up and marched through the desert, and they came into the promised land by God parting the Jordan River and coming through. So it was literally a border like Pigeon River is, and then the Holy Spirit came down as a dove. So if we think about what was happening here, all of this storyline, this great old storyline was coming up, and I'll let you decide which side of Pigeon River is the promised land. <laughs> and which is the, the wilderness. But John, John had these people coming out, a lot of them. And um, here's the thing. Everyone knew there was only one place where sins should be forgiven. And that was in the Jerusalem temple with a sacrifice. You go there like the, the, the teaching uh, tells them to. And you go and you give a sacrifice. You go, you, you go sacrifice a lamb or a pigeon and you get your sins forgiven. But John was coming out in a different spot. And God told him to forgive sins at this place. And this is going to be important because as he, um, let's see, here we go. 
as he begins to preach at this place, all the people came out. And here's what he has to say to them. It's not very nice. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? This is like not usual language. This is not something that you'd probably say to a group of people who are coming out to express their sorrow, to come out and to be forgiven for their sins. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. There's so much in here. But we're going to focus in on this brood of vipers. So, you know, I know the word brood. It's like, uh, like uh, um, children. It's like a group of children. So you offspring of vipers. Uh, so he's telling the crowd, these, this crowd, you guys are like the children of vipers. Uh, they're poisonous. They're deadly. They're destructive. They, they leave in their wake a trail of destruction and death. And even we might think of, of, of the Satan imagery with, with the snake imagery in the Bible. You are like children of the devil. And, and, and what are children like? But they're like their parents, right? Uh, and so uh, John is looking out, if you can think about it, over a group of Jewish people who may have been going to Jerusalem to, to, uh, to give their sacrifices to God in the temple, going through all the right motions, doing all the right things, and yet their lives are still marked by anything but godliness. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? So these are people that are messed up, venomous kind of people. And we think about, you know, like a snake hole filled with vipers. And you think about uh, people who think of themselves as religious. They think, okay, I do all the right religious things. I go to all church. I, I, um, I, I do all the right kinds of, of religious giving and, and serving. But in their life, they do everything but love the world. There's, there's brokenness, and, me- and they're messed up. And, um, you know, this is different than someone who is remorseful and is sure that they need the help of God in their life. This is someone who thinks they've got it all together, and they're even using religion as a, as a uh, kind of a shell on the outside. And so John is seeing right through all of this kind of. And, like, um, you may know people who you think of as someone who has the shell of religion but doesn't have the power to it. They don't have the, the heart inside of it. And, you know, you think uh, we could probably name a few people in our, in, our, in our minds of our friends or family who live this way. And um, John is pointing out that there's got to be a sincerity about our faith walk. It can't just be an empty shell. It cannot just be a facade so that it just gives us room to be vipers in our life. We've got to be children of God. And, and, and this is where John says, look, if you think that you have God in your life and he's, it, you got his favor because you do all this religious stuff, uh, he can build up children out of, out of stones. And there are lots of hard-hearted people around that, uh, that God could use. So this is John the Baptist, and he's opening up this idea for us that... Um, God does care. He cares about what we do. He cares about how we actually act. He cares about our motives. He cares about our sincerity. We cannot just be going through the motions of this stuff. Otherwise, we'll be seen as like a brood of vipers. Like, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Same kind of idea. 
Uh, do, you, do you really care about this? Are you really sincere about your faith? Uh, and so the point of it all is that we're messed up. If we're really honest with ourselves, we're messed up people. But oftentimes when you hear preachers come up and talk about this, the, the impression that you get at the end is that somehow because you're a messed up person, uh, this makes you worthless. This makes you someone who, who, who isn't worth God's time. And until we really just feel how terrible we are, uh, God's not going to love us. But this is not at all what, what the Bible is talking about us. The Bible, the Bible thinks of us as treasures, remember. We are wise. We are, we are oftentimes good. Um, but the sin in our life runs so deep um, that we have to get honest sometimes about it. And the, the frameworks here, again, to remind us, uh, you know, in, in all of this, I forgot to give a caveat. I'll just get, pause here really quickly. Um, if you weren't here last week, I said this, that um, we're going to be getting into some uh, sermon series in the coming uh, months. I'm going to do a sermon series on parenting and being uh, parented by people. <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to do a sermon series on marriages coming up. And it's going to get really practical, and there's going to get lots of good sort of practicality points. But this isn't that kind of sermon series. This is more of me trying to help us get our eyes around um, a concept. So I'm going to be doing lots of kind of repeating and um, getting uh, uh, lots of kind of... Um, there's not going to be too many action points to hear. Here. I'm just trying to help us see something that's really hard to see. So we are messed up. We're messed up. But the messed upness has, it feels more like there's a slavery involved. Like something, some external force is trying to, to convince us and keep, in, keep us in chains. And that we become partners in this own kind of slavery. That we are asleep at the wheel of our life. Like this is what the biblical teaching on sin is about. And if you know the um, Proverbs if you've read Proverbs, there, there's this really interesting proverb that talks about six things that the Lord hates and seven that are abom an abomination to him. And this is where we get the idea of the seven deadly sins. Seven deadly sins are the things, uh, it's a tradition, um, it's, all of them aren't in, in, in the scriptures, it, but it teaches us just how deep sin runs. And we, we cannot turn our eyes away from this. We cannot ignore this if we're going to understand all the things that are happening in our life. So there's six, six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And here they are, haughty eyes. So if you don't know what the word haughty means, it's not a word we really use anymore. Snobbishness, contemptuousness, being distant or egotistic, a lying tongue, um, hands that shed innocent blood. And Jesus comes into this teaching and says, um, it's not just murder that I care about, but it's people who are angry and full of disdain. If you're someone who's riddled with anger, full of disdain, uh, you're not uh, in a position that God wants you in. Uh, the next one is a heart that devises wicked plans. Someone who is, is, is after revenge. How, how many people, don't raise your hands, how many people like, just experience this ongoing like, dialogue in your head with someone who you, who you really want to take revenge on? Like, we, we live in our head a lot, don't we, as we drive, and here's what I would say, or, or I, I, I countered them, and here's what I wish I would have said, and, you know, this revenge just sort of um, kind of boils up in us. Or feet that hurry to run to evil, even looking lustfully at the world. A lying witness who testifies falsely, and here's the seventh one. 
one who sows discord in a family, and that's the abomination to God. And if we put it this way, if we think through this kind of thing, and we're really honest with ourselves, we can see ourselves reflected in this list. And it's not pretty. It's not fun. Um, but did you notice the first five of these, like they're kind of uh, body images. So hearty eyes. So we have eyes and a tongue and hands and a heart and feet. And the, the, the writer of Proverbs is trying to sort of help us to understand just how completely riddled with sin a human being can be. And um, it reminds me of a story where, where Jesus actually got down and washed uh, the feet of his disciples. So it was just before the Passover, Jesus was going to die that week. Um, the book of John, the writer John tells us that he, he was about to give his life for those he loved uh, and he loved his own, even to the end. This is all about love. And so the, that when the, when the meal was in progress, as people were eating, Jesus gets up, takes off his cloak, and starts washing the feet of people and, and drying them. And he came to Simon Peter, his disciple, and uh, said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, don't, you don't realize what I'm doing. I'm washing you, but you don't realize that I'm washing you. Uh, you will understand, but you're not going to right now. And Peter said, um, no, you'll never wash my feet. I'm not going to allow it. And this is Jesus' response. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Again, body parts, the whole thing. Wash my hands, wash my head, wash my feet. I've got to be cleaned. Something's got to clean me. I know that I can't do this myself. Uh, and so I think that if we expanded a little bit on sort of the body part imagery, you know, you think of like dirty feet. We have dirty feet. We need to be washed. And Peter's like, this is his pride. This symbolizes his pride. I don't, I don't want you to touch me, Jesus. I don't want you to look at my feet. I think I can do it myself. Or, like, think about ribs that are just emaciated, starving for food but only eating garbage, like, obsessed. How, how obsessed can we be sometimes on luxury or power or pleasure? I don't know if you could maybe count the hours in the day where we were watching a, a show or watching uh, or shopping or doing something where we're just obsessed on luxury or obsessed on power, and yet we're just starving for spiritual food. Or what about a face? which is just dirty and sullen. And we think uh, so many times humans can kind of look in the mirror and, and think, wow, I had no idea that I looked like that. And I looked like that. I'm, I'm so sad. And yet we oftentimes look at other people and we think, how am I going to feel worthy? If I don't feel pretty, if I don't feel gorgeous, how am I going to feel worthy? I'm going to go about using other people's beauty to make me feel worthy. And there's a whole industry filled in this world with, using beauty to make people feel worthy? Or what about our heart? Just think of a heart that's just corroded like with bitterness, nursing the resentments in our life, disdaining the trials of life that come up around us, eaten away by people scorning us, dull and sluggish when we're off offended. You know, like, I could just keep going here. Uh, but if we're honest, we... we 
when we look at ourselves, we realize that our whole body needs a washing. And this is what God has in mind. I remember uh, one writer put it this way. Every time you're tempted to sin, you are being asked to hand over to some alien force a little bit of your own God-given power. You think, okay, you know, I make a mistake or I just obsess on something. I, I do something a little wrong. Every time we hand over our, our power, which is supposed to be exercised over ourselves, over our life, into the parts of the world that we touch. I think it's a, a really powerful way to talk about the problem. But here's the thing. If we remember the solution, the solution is waking up, being someone who's drawn to light. The solution is freedom from slavery. And that's what baptism is about, okay? This is where I'm, I'm trying to get, help, help us get to. If you want to understand what God is going to do about this problem that we're all part of in our worst moments, the solution has to go that deep. And it's a washing. It's a baptism. It's a cleaning that goes to our very DNA. And when we come to God in remorse and he forgives us, sometimes we think about this. God, I'm so sorry that I did that again. So sorry. I, just, I can't believe I did that. And God's like, okay, I forgive you. Just don't do it again. Like, that's kind of our, what we think about is forgiveness, right? Like, yeah, you hurt my feelings, but I'm, not, I'm just going to ignore it and keep trying. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is God saying, I am waking you up, and I'm going to free you from the powers that bind you. I'm sorry, God, I just, I messed up. I forgive you. I'm going to free you. I'm going to wash you. I'm going to wake you up and free you into the to light of my life. And that's what he's after uh, in, in our life. And he's going to say, this is going to take a while. <laughs> a whole life, actually. It's going to take a long while to clean you. And it's going to take a lot. If you think about just how rooted sin can be, it's going to take a heck of a lot to get that out. Um, when I dunk you, when I dunk you under the waters of baptism, it's going to feel like death, like you're drowning. But I'm actually drowning out the sin that's in you. And um, you're going to come to realize that when I do that, you're going to be able to breathe under the water. You don't have to live anymore obsessed with this. You can live without your sin. You can find happiness without the thing that you are ruining your life to get. You don't need it. It's killing you. I'm going to kill it. That's what God is after in baptism. And so we begin to look at our situations, the situations that we live through in our life as our baptism, okay? I've brought us in, over a lot of ground here, but this is where we're coming to. This is the point of this all. Uh, because our, the things that we live through, the things that God allows us to live through are our baptism working on us to shape us into people who can love. And so when we get into a series on parenting, you know, I could give you, all, here's 10 techniques that the best parenting experts talk about. But really, what we should be talking about is when it feels like you're drowning in your parenting, here's what God is up to. And how can we move along with him and not kick against it? When you are in your relationships with the most intimate people in your life and you feel like you're drowning and you gotta get out, 
I mean, I could come. I'll probably, I'll probably give us some good parenting and marriage tips <laughs> in those series. But far more Christians should be asking, when it feels like I'm drowning, what is God doing and how do I move along with him? That's where we get the real power of the Christian message in these relationships. And we realize that it's in these scenarios, it's in these contexts that God is most powerfully shaping us into people who can be selfless lovers in this, in this life. So our situations are the baptism. Think about Romans 5.3, what he talks about here. We glory as Christians in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because why? Because when we go through all this, when we go through suffering and perseverance and character and hope, what happens? God's love, and see the, the water metaphor here, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. I know that we want so much in this life, friends. There's so much that we go about wanting and desiring and, and needing. But God wants us to be people who can love. That's his main goal. Because it's the very thing that is going to satisfy us. The only thing that's going to satisfy us. Um, so next week, we're going to jump in to the question, okay, how, how, how does God form love in us? Well, he does something to us. It's very passive, isn't it? We get baptized. We just got to go with the flow of the situations. Like, okay, it's, there's a very passive side to this all. But there's also an active side. And the active side is about repentance and remorse and gratefulness and the practices of forgiveness. These are the things which we can do to walk along the, the heart-aching trials, the times of purity in our life. We can, we can do this. And sometimes... You know, sometimes people have grown up or they've been in situations where they, they've been part of a kind of Christianity that was overly active. I don't know if, if you know what I'm saying. Like, like, like human beings thinking that they have more power than they really do to change. And so what do you do as a Christian? You get, you know, you get really active. You take the wheel. You, 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 your prayer life is filled with your active prayers. Your, your uh, relationships are, you've got to be super active in them to, to make change in this world. You go out to this world where you're super active. And there's like a hyperactive kind of Christianity that some people have grown up with. And in order to sort of get away from it, because they, they, they know that that's not the real thing, they just move into a completely passive kind of form of spirituality. Like all I can do is just let God do what he's going to do, and I have no power over it. And I think that's a swing in, in too far in the wrong direction. Like There are ways in which we need to tend to God's work in our life if it's going to be powerful and meaningful. So God's going to work on us, that's true, but we have to tend to it. There's stuff that we need to do. And so when it comes to the active part of all of this, John is going to say, make fruits worthy of repentance. Tend it, tend to it. Be a gardener. Learn how to make a fruit. <laughs> Learn how to uh, grow up a plant in a way. God's, God's work is the plant. He's going to be active in your life, but you've got to tend to it and make fruits worthy of repentance. So ne um, next week we're going to talk about this, our active roles in, in this baptism. Um, but in the meantime, I invite you, friends, I invite you today to think, about the ways you're messed up. 
Not, not always a fun thing, is it? And realize just how deep it goes. And then begin to realize that God himself is going to work in your life and is interested in working in your life in a way that gets to the bottom of it. So as we turn our attention to this table, this is a way for us to remind ourselves just how far Jesus went to try to rescue us. He called his death his baptism, if you remember that in the scriptures. I've got to go through a baptism, and you guys, until you get the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be able to do it too. I'll give the Holy Spirit to you, but right now, you cannot be baptized with this without the power of God in your life. It's his baptism, his death. That's how we thought of it. The long walk, the long painful walk to the cross. And we remember uh, that he broke his body and shed his blood to show us what selfless love looked like, to complete the act of selfless love in his life. And it's a hard thing. It's the hardest thing in all the universe to do is to walk this road. But he's going to tell his followers, if you're going to follow me, you're going to deny yourselves take up your crosses and follow me on this path. And we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the juice with just an ounce, everything in us, even if it's just an ounce of uh, commitment. Say, Jesus, you walk this. It's the only way out of sin. It's the only way out of this mess. And I'm going to follow you no matter what. So we take a piece of bread, we dip it in the cup, and we even swallow it and digest it so it gets to our very fibers. That's what this symbol is about. So whatever, whatever it is, friends, that you're thinking today, whatever it is God has been doing to speak to you, I invite you forward uh, to respond to him, however you, so, uh, you see fit. The table is set here, guys, and everyone is welcome.